Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Point. Forward. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Out of the game. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Point Forward. My main man, Evan Turner. Yo, yo. Myself, Andre Iguodala. So right now, Dre, obviously, you're in the playoffs. You guys are still in Memphis. And last night, I noticed Draymond was uh, rocking out with the crowd while they were playing Whoop That Trick. Right. So, you know, it's been a lot of taunting and a lot of crazy moments amongst the fans. And I, I think you said your piece about that a couple weeks ago. But I guess one thing that, we all kind of look for in that instance or that situation is kind of like the camaraderie and brotherhood amongst the NBA players. Some people kind of say the brotherhood has kind of gone out the window, but it's never been like that. Remember when we were in Philly and um, when Joe Kim Noah hurt his ankle, mm. remember they started clapping and sh- like trying to clap and cheer. The whole, all of us were like, bro, that's not wavy. That's not hard. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Remember, yeah. when, remember yeah. when KD got hurt in Toronto? In Toronto. And at one point, the whole, even if, the players like, bro, that shit's not cool. Like, yeah, Kyle we, Lowry was like, chill. Yeah, because we just lost one of the greats for who knows. Mm-hmm. Like, you, mm-hmm. you, you understand what I'm saying? But I feel like that KD cheer in Toronto wasn't like a malicious cheer. I guess they, they were just like, damn, I like good, <laughs> like not good, like, but we, like woo, we going to win. We needed that, like like that type <laughs> thing. But no, that's for you. But I was wondering, how do you feel about like the fan interactions along with what you get from your peers? It gets interesting because i've been trying to identify this one individual who i've never spoken to i don't even know what he looks like and i keep going back to him in terms of how is he influencing these younger players you know yeah. these young kids now they don't have that it's, it's not that you have to have a respect to where i can bully you or you don't compete as hard because these kids complete compete yeah, the way they should. I appreciate right. the way yeah. they compete, but yeah. at the same time, is who's teaching y'all? But I know they got some guys in there that are teaching them. You know, like Tayshawn Prince, I know very well. I know he's telling them the right thing. But it's 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 some it's this one person I've never met. I just would love to have a conversation with. Um, is this a basketball but, guy or just a, a well, Wall this Street? Is, this is a Wall no, Street this guy. Is a basket, this is a basketball guy that. You know, I was technically employed for him at one point. Never had a conversation, but she says speaks volumes to it. You know what I mean? And I mean that's a respect part right there too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think that plays a part in it as well. Like as players, you know, we have to. It's almost like we have to nip it in the bud. But you know, then you send somebody back to that environment they're in, they're naturally going to fall back into 
yeah. with that environment breach. I, I say with the Warriors, you guys deserve a certain level of respect because of what you've done. You understand? And I'm not saying mm -hmm. those two. And Memphis has impeded a great amount. But just in general, you guys also show respect to people walking down the street just naturally. It's just it's a situation mm -hmm. where it's like, all right, we're men. I don't even let, right. I don't even let people talk to me like that on my regular. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and right. as an adult, it's like, we have rules, we have regulations, but, you know, everything that we do right now is a moral and characteristic thing. Because I'm sure you don't give a damn about what the ref really tells you deep down. You're going to right. adhere to the law, but you're paying 1%. So, you know when it's it's enough. That's all I'm saying. And it seems like it's a, it's getting to be enough. It's getting to be a lot. And the fan has gotten um, braver than ever in terms of how they interact with us. With disrespect, I'm pulling up one of my it's one of my favorite tweets in the long time, and it was from KD, and it's about the parlays. What you mean a parlay? You know these parlays have been disrespecting the game. Kyrie, you couldn't get thirty tonight. What you doing? You can get that. You can get that win. What you doing? Yeah. You know what I mean. And he's bro. Until you can come do my job, shut up. But the KD tweet was, when them parlays don't hit, this is for years of slander from NBA fans. I'm grateful <laughs> I have this much power now. He was like, parlays have ruined the game of basketball. No, to be honest with you, what do I love that I don't like anymore? Basketball. Because it's yeah. literally everything but basketball. Yeah. All right, so what are we getting into next? All right, we got, um, we got Kendra Lamar. As I get a little older... I realize life is perspective. And my perspective may differ from yours. So, E.T., did you know that The Heart Part 5 by Kendrick has five complete parts? There's a there's a one, two, three, and four, as well as the five where we've all been enamored by the last this last week before the, the release of uh, Kendrick's new album. So what did you think of that video? The video was insane. You know, I'm a Kendrick fan. Yeah. Like, I'm a real Kendrick fan, and, you know, I'm deep diving into the lyrics. I'm on Dissect the Podcast. Yeah. Uh, when it broke down, it broke down his album to Pimp a Butterfly, and then it kind of gave you a preview of things that were before that as well. So I'm just a, a, a fan of the way he puts together his projects. It's not just a bunch of songs thrown together. Yeah. There's an overall theme to what's it has like a point forward appeal to it every album which is amazing so this it's just kind of got your juices flowing and how do you feel about like what level he was trying to hit like what do you think he was trying to get after well that's him in terms of the overall message and the thing that stood out most is how he he came with the culture early on yeah you know that's culture you know your girl is dating you because you you own and you get money, yeah. but then you go to jail and then she just hop to the next one. Yeah. You know, that's just it's part of the game. Yeah. And then you hear about your homie getting killed while you in jail. Like the the culture, yeah. you know, came through. And then he finished that first verse with, you know, a brand new victim, a shadow of those dreams, the culture. He was talking, you know, and it's just the way he was yeah, screaming, talking man. about the vicious cycle. He even put GoFundMe, he dropped, you know, GoFundMe accounts. You know, he just yeah. bringing everything in real time and just how it, it's just this vicious cycle we in. And I think he was just kind of setting up 
you know, how they desensitize our pains, they cover it up, it's camouflaged in these new ways, but it's all, we still going through the same pains. And second verse was just, that's when he really took off. Yeah. Because that's when you saw the faces come into effect. You know, you saw OJ early on yeah. and rolling with the Rover. And then it jumped into, uh, I guess I should say, who, what character resonated with you most? And which line was it, was it when it flipped? I guess, obviously, the whole video was crazy, but the Nipsey Hustle part, when he started rapping to uh, his shooter and his demise, you know, and this, uh, anytime you have a message or a chance to spread a message, sometimes you got to do the unpopular thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times in this society, forgiveness is the most unpopular thing. You know what I mean? So to even... Wow preach that or try to show love to one another because at the end of the day when you break it down it's culture that dude ain't killed nip because he hated him he killed nip because he hated himself right and it all comes from the society the system the the crafts and the barrel mentality you know what i mean and so it, some, yeah and sometimes when you lead with you try to teach people to lead with compassion or you even see that in that, in that sense maybe it, it can help more than it than it hurt but People are already picking up the strap right away for nothing, for no reason anyway. My man Adrian yeah. Payne just passed away all because a 5'8 dude is tough enough to hit his hit his girl, but not discuss and have a meet, you know what I mean, a conversation to do things the right way. To forgive someone takes courage, and there's a lot of cowardly energy out here that's, that is disguised as man or macho or this is how a man's supposed to be. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's sad because that's, in our culture, it's deeply embedded in our culture. And it's something that it feels like we can't allow ourselves to grow through. Yeah. Like we won't we won't allow ourselves to mature to that next level. And I feel like our music has become a part of that. Yeah. It's a it's a part of that demise where we gotta pick up a gun and we gotta deal with each other in that manner of violence. And I think Kendrick has Kendrick understands, you know, we always talk about what are you here for? Like the great ones are here for us, for us to appreciate them or to exist through them. Mm -hmm. Like like Kendrick feels like he's here for us and he has that understanding. You know, I have a responsibility to my people and let me preach this message to the masses because I do have that voice and that influence and that appeal. And I think he's doing what he's supposed to do with his talent and skill set. And it's just it's just amazing when he brings that energy. So hopefully, yeah. you know, we can we can start having these conversations more with one another and, and start growing in the right direction. Yeah, J. Cole, you got five minutes to respond. <laughs> That's culture. You know, obviously right now, you know, the culture and perception of weed has evolved, you know, tremendously. Almost to a point where, you know, Lamry Tussle, the former Ole Miss University native and currently a uh, what is it, Texans football Texans. player? Yeah, Texans. Yes, right now, he's uh, selling his NFT from a crazy video that from drafted, it cost him about $8 million. Remember the gas mask video? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess right now, he uh, turned a negative into a positive, and he's trying to sell that as an NFT online. What you think about that? Is that a good way to recoup or what? I mean, it's hard to recoup that $8 million. The more interesting part of it is just the way it went down yeah. It was so crazy. I mean, essentially they hacked the kid's that. phone. They hacked the kid's phone. They dropped the video on his Instagram from his yeah. phone. And he's in the green room. He could have went third. He was projected to go third. 
slides all the way to 13th. I think we had another guy that slid uh, almost out the first round this year, and all because of this video of him. It's like he took a hit through a bong, uh, through a gas mask, and I think it's smart for him to make the most out of that situation with dropping this NFT. You know, I'm in the space, and it can be a different way to interact with your fan base or turn a, a negative into a positive. But the crazier thing is the whole platform of marijuana and the perception of marijuana has changed. And being with the union, I've seen so much with this marijuana thing. You know, I, I laugh sometimes. We talk about the, the lockout that you went through when we were together or that we went through and they were talking about changing the revenue sharing in terms of what's the split guy saying, you know, you, you big money guys can last a whole year. You know, some of us may not be able to last as long. Like we got to get this money. Yeah. And then they double back. Well, what y'all doing about the weed <laughs> test? <laughs> nah, that yeah, used yeah. to drive me insane because at this point, I wasn't really, I didn't know too much about yeah. marijuana or THC or CBD. As you've seen, the science of it has been broken down. And then I think in our book club, we read the book, uh, Weed the People, W-E-E-D, yeah. the people. And that's when I really start diving into it. And then as you get older and that pain is hitting different, you, you learn different ways to kind of calm the nerves or ease the pain. And you see the benefits in many different things. Yeah. And, you know, it actually is a natural substance uh, but it can be abused and I've just been doing my homework on it and I was one of those people where I let society create the narrative for me dealing with marijuana and yeah. you yeah. know I'll look back and it was, I was you know what I mean it's, right it's not like west coast like chill type stuff we're from the midwest so that's kind of it was labeled deviant no matter what. And Midwest is a home of like mid at best. Well, at least coming out. So, <laughs> so it wasn't like we, it was either you smoked that or a black and mild probably. <laughs> no, you're right. So I, the way I looked at it, you know, I would I would frown upon it and I would tell a person, you know, you're throwing your life away or I wouldn't even hang out. You looked at that person as like a criminal yeah, if they smoked. My, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah my just best friend that came with it. I used to tell Dorian, if you, if you smoke, you come and hang out with me. If I saw you smoking, I'm like, he's throwing his life away. I'm like 17 years old. He'll never be successful. Legitimate. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, had a, I had a guy that was, you know, you always bring one of your guys with you when you get drafted. You can put on, try to help out. And I had one of those guys, and I think it was TJ Ford. Uh, so I'm doing my draft workouts. The draft hasn't even happened yet. I'm doing workouts in Chicago, and I think the news hit that, TJ Ford's friend bought some weed or something like that. And after he bought it, he went to TJ Ford's house, but he bought some weed from like an undercover or something. They followed him to his house. They followed the guy. He went to TJ's house and the police, you know, bust up in the dough over some weed. And I'm thinking I haven't even got drafted yet. And my homeboy was smoking and I'm, I didn't even tell him. I was just, I just played it cool. All right, I'm gonna get through this draft process. As soon as I get drafted, I'm giving him a one-way ticket back home. That's what I did. Because wow. I was so afraid of, of getting in trouble. I just heard what happened to TJ. I'm like, this what happened to TJ? And he wasn't even smoking. So yeah. it's just you can't even have it around. I'm like, I can't have this around me. Yeah. And now looking back and you're doing your homework on it, is there are leagues out there that provide CBD, THC products to their players 
because they had an opioid crisis and an opioid issue and guys were just popping pills to ease their pain. Yeah. They actually are medicating them with something that's really helping them out. And when you when you, and and then they're profiting off of this thing now. They start profiting when people were still in jail for like for the offense of selling marijuana. It kills me when they break down, say they see like a pound of weed or whatever. They'll try to translate it into street profit. And it's like, bro, that was mm. just that's a funky ass 1500 a pound. That one, that was, I got, I got connected with a good deal. That ain't a hundred thousand dollars worth of, <laughs> worth of weed in the trunk. It's fifteen hundred dollars, and I got the plug. Okay, and that's, you know what I'm saying, and that's it. Hey there, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast. And yes, we are in the thick of the college hoop season. Our pod runs at least three times a week and covers everything you need to know. From the power conference team to the mid-majors, the scoops, the stories, game predictions, previews, huge recaps, everything. We cover it all. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your pods. Uh, we got a very intriguing uh, guest today, very excited to have a conversation with. He's a face that a lot of people know in the very unique circles of the globe. The uh, CEO and founder of Qualtrics, a SaaS-based uh, customer experience company, and the governor slash owner of the Utah Jazz. Welcome, Mr. Ryan Smith, to the show. Ryan, is uh, a delight to have you on. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, good to be with you, fellas. So I'm kind of going to give people a backstory of how we even got here today. It goes back to 2016, I want to say. And I was just getting introduced to what they call uh, enterprise of the tech space. And uh, just coming to this enterprise uh, uh, seminar, it was in Deer Valley, Utah, and the uh, first thing they said was, we're going to, you know, have different uh, CEOs and founders speaking. Uh, and you get to play golf at this um, terrific, terrific golf course not too far. And there was a few folks uh, that would like to play golf. And your name came up right away. So I'm playing. I get out to the golf course, uh, Victory Ranch. Beautiful course. One of my favorite courses. And I get to play with this individual who has this amazing energy. Got game. Like ET, this dude got game. You know, he, he you trying to get to where I'm at, ET. I'm trying to get to where he's at. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So he had an athlete's vibe to him, but he's in yeah. the business space. He's a CEO, which was unique to me too. You know, we we gravitate to those who kind of think like us and move like us and walk like yeah. us. You know, you know how Ho says, you know, uh, my swag like a ball player, and he kind of had yeah. that swag. Ryan, do you remember who was in that group? He stays with a backwards hat too. He does. I met him. I met him in Boston, and I was like, "My fault." I coached for Boston last year, and I was like, "Is this this is an owner?" And they're like, "Yeah, this is an owner." I'm like, "Man, good, I mean, good for them." Shit, Utah needs it. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So, Ryan, do you remember who was in that group with us? I think it was. Um, I want to say I think Paul Kwan was there for a little bit, and then yeah, he was there. Um, you know, I don't remember who else. Donahoe was in that group. John Donahoe. All right. Yes, All right. he I got was. You. He went on the and good things. New he went on the, he went on the wow. great things. <laughs> he went on the great things. And then also um, our guy from SAP was there as well. He's at, he's Bill, the CEO of ServiceNow. Yeah, Bill McDermott. Bill McDermott. 
Yes. So uh, that's just giving people a background of how we met. And we've kind of been uh, just building that relationship over time. You know, we got some very important golf tournaments to attend uh, when my basketball days are, are, are over and done with. So looking forward to that. But this is before you were, you know, the owner of the Jazz. And I think that's just trying to explain to folks how, you know, you never know who you run into. And I think it's important for us all to foster those relationships and not looking to get anything from it. But more than anything, a learning experience. I learned so much that weekend. I've been learning so much from you over the past couple of years. You know, I appreciate your your generosity with your time with me. And let's just jump into it, kind of giving us a background of, you know, how all these things came to fruition. And I think we should start on the business side because we're trying to teach people, you know, we're point forward, you know, guiding people in the directions they should be going, what lanes they should be watching. And it's bigger than just basketball. You know, in order to, I always say in order to become an owner of NBA team, you know, you have to be able to build something that's special. And I think you did that with Qualtrics. So let's just, you know, kind of dive into that. You know, what was your thought process and um, how did you come to build something so special? So look, Qualtrics is, I mean, it's crazy, but this is my 20th year. I started this with, with my dad had this idea when he was, when I was 22, he's a researcher, he's an academic. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grow up, grew up and enterprise software was never something I dreamed about as a kid. I was supposed to play in the NBA and then I was supposed to be a professional <laughs> golfer and none of that worked out or it just wasn't the way I went. And so I really got intrigued by this concept. And, and by the way, starting a business in 2002 was not popular. Like, right. like you were the shadow of the dot-com, everything had crashed. And, you know, we had this idea that like, wait a minute, we could leverage the beginning of the internet to really capture what people think, like in their hearts and their minds and their souls. And the whole premise was like, no one likes surprises in business, mm -hmm. in life. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you eliminate surprises and if we could actually go out before you launched a product or if someone had a bad customer experience or if you're an employee of a company and really understand how they're feeling in the moment and get that data back in real time to decision makers then you could actually operate your business in a pretty smooth way and historically that problem was not that seamless. It mm -hmm. took time. People didn't do it. They didn't know they could. You, you only had a couple very smart people in the organization that could ever achieve that. And we wanted to democratize it. We wanted to say, hey, everyone's a data scientist in the world now. Right. Everyone has this power. And our mantra was like, we're easy enough for an intern, but we're sophisticated enough for the most advanced PhD. And you know, we went out with that mission and over, over 20 years and thousands and thousands of brands. And I, I mean, I think we're up to almost 16, 17,000 companies around the globe. Every academic institution pretty much is, is a Qualtrics house and, mm -hmm. you know, little by little. And there wasn't really like these moments of just tipping point where it all went. It's really been hard work the whole way. You know, this has been enterprises just push, push, push. Right. And and try to deliver an amazing product and good experience, and it, it kind of rolls from there. But the the premise has stayed the same kind of throughout the whole way. Uh, it shifted very much to an experience world where, hey, 
how do we let brands understand the experience they're providing? Mm-hmm, brands are mm-hmm. going to mess up. And then the economy shifted with what we were working on. We want to say, hey, we're smart. But what happens as all brands are competing is they realize, like, what differentiates us? Right. You know, in an up and a down economy, is, is, is yeah. consumers are able to shift products much easier as new trends are able to, to come online. And experience and a good experience is the ultimate moat around whatever you're doing. If your experience at a university is better than everywhere else, that university will go up and continue to thrive. If it's bad, it won't. And then I think if you look at society as well, I think that it carries forward to like, what are the great experiences of society and which ones are really mm-hmm. bad? And right. so like, I would have never thought that that idea in 2002 would be so relevant 20 years later. And that, by the way, I'd still be standing here to like be working on it because the numbers and the odds of both of those things happening are, are pretty rare. But you think your trip prior to starting, you know, starting a company with your dad and your brother, where were you at in Korea or South Korea, North Korea or South Korea? I hope so. Yeah. So, <laughs> when I was 17 years old, I, I grew up in Utah. Both my parents were academics. They kind of gone through a pretty yeah. messy divorce when I was like 14. I wasn't on a good track. I wasn't a good high yeah. school student. I was a high school dropout. And I just kind of said, I'm done with life. Like I'm done doing it the way everyone else want to do. I was a smart kid, but my world had just been rocked. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of given up. And I had an uncle that kind of brought me in and said, Hey, look, come work at this place. And I met some dudes who were like, Hey, we just got back from Korea teaching English. You should go. And I'm 17. And my parents are like, (laughs) well, you can go if you can save enough money. So I sold a car that I had and like, got over there. And then that's really where I kind of grew up. Like I yeah. learned to work in South Korea. I, I was on my own. It was the first time away. And like, I also had to like try to find this muscle of like, I have ideas for the mm-hmm. first time and I could implement them and then get real time feedback if they worked. And I had a couple wins yeah. Like I had this idea that I was going to like go put flyers up everywhere and teach a bunch of people. And it worked. People started calling me and I was like, damn, like, like this works. Like, yeah. where's the next one? Where's the next one? And I think it's a pretty good how lesson. High were you, how okay. high were your parents when you started working that creativity muscle? Because I always find it funny when you see two teachers or two educators and then a kid, there's a girl in my college, high school. Her dad taught me chemistry, and then you hear her just dropping out of college. Like, you know what I mean? I used to always sit there and be like, how the hell is that possible? Yeah, I mean, with two, with so two, much education. Yeah, with two educators, like, I was not going down the right path in their <laughs> mind. Um, even when we started Qualtrics, my dad made me go get a job. He's like, well, this isn't mm. a real job. And I was like, Dad, <laughs> like, we're going to make some money here. And he's like, no, I actually, he made me. So I went and got an internship at Hewlett Packard and then an internship at Ford because he did not believe that this was sustainable mm-hmm. because everything else in the right. dot com and crash. Right. And yeah. I had to show him that no, this is going to be bigger than anything else I could do. And that's kind of his how he ran this. He's like, all right, you're the one with the energy. You're the one that with like you go make it 
make it into something. And so, you know, I think it's just the power of what confidence in a couple wins can do. And you guys know this as athletes, like, you know, when you're making shots a lot, like you, <laughs> a lot of good things happen when you're winning games, it solves a lot of, a lot of uh, everything else around you. So when you, I go back to that in South Korea and you know, the tech, that tech saying fail fast. How did that help build that mental fortitude when you went over there and you had to really figure it out? You know, you, you had to figure out, or right, I'm just going to put a bunch of flyers in mailboxes in a foreign country, a place I don't know. Yeah, I think you went to Korea in 02. That's, that's what I'm saying. Crazy. You know, and, and <laughs> that's crazy. or whatever it was. We don't 90s. see, you know, our youth doesn't see the grind that goes into success. You know, success isn't something that you just walk into, you know, and then as athletes, we we see how folks don't understand the parallels or don't get the connection of how we can overcome the things that we overcame. Like we really had to risk it all. It was either this was all or nothing. And for you to take that trip, you know, was was pretty amazing. So are there any things that you learned from that that you put into the business? So I was always a kid, like one of the reasons why like I dropped out of high school is because all my friends were a couple years older than me. Mm -hmm. And I always hung out with that crowd. Well, I went over to Korea with two friends Uh, and after a week we learned that like we didn't have jobs. We didn't have a place to stay. We didn't have a lot of money and they all called their parents and their parents bought them a plane ticket. They left. Well, when I called my dad, he's like, sorry, Nothing good for you is happening here. Stick it out. And mm. so as I watched my friends leave, and I'm there at 17, two years younger than everyone else, that was a moment where it was like, you're going to sink or swim. And, mm-hmm. you know, my parents didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what I was doing over there. They easily could have probably bailed me out. And so as a, as a parent, that I am now, I think the question I ask myself is, uh, am I going to let my kids fail? Right. Or is there a mechanism to let my kids fail? Because had my dad caved in, like I wouldn't be here. Right. Right. And I had to develop muscles that I didn't know I had. I had the gears in here somewhere. Like Mm -hmm. I had the makeup, but Mm -hmm. I was always operating in first and second. And I had to go to figure out, was there a sixth gear? Is there right. a seventh gear here quick? Yeah. And there was. And I had to get good at it. I had to get good at driving in fourth gear. Like I had I had to like I had to figure it out. And for the first time in my life, I had to work. I had to like really work. I had to be completely committed. And then you come back from that to re-engage in the US. And I'm like, whoa, well, this is pretty sweet. I got a house. Mm-hmm. I got I got food like I'm already ahead of where I was over there. And to do that at the young age, like my, my whole life shifted, but it was all, it was all an accident. It was all of curiosity. It was also all from, you know, an uncle and some people looking out for me. You know, you said something that was interesting. You know, you said your dad made you work while you were first working on Qualtrics. So when did you realize that you had a viable business and the idea would catch on? Or what yeah, did he I, believe too? Yeah, I don't like this has been such a unique journey. I don't think that we have ever believed we've made it. 
which mm-hmm. is really weird. It's more of a yeah. mentality or a mindset. You know, there has not been a eureka moment. Even when we sold our business and the wire came in. <laughs> no, I don't think the people know. What was, yeah. what was the wire? What, what, well, what was the, the we purchase? sold it for $8 billion cash, right? Billion, and, okay. And cash. it wasn't a eureka <laughs> moment. Like, it wasn't a eureka moment. It was much more around like, okay, well, like, we're waking up and we're going to go do Qualtrics again tomorrow. And right. I think there's a lot of debate. And you guys get this as athletes. is like, is this about the destination or the journey? Dre, you've won all these championships. Like, what happens? Like, okay, great. You celebrate for a sec. And then you're like, wait, like, all I know is how to go hoop tomorrow. Like, yep. like I'm at it. And I've seen you. I've spoken to you when you're in these moments of the playoffs and things look really good. And you're so locked in, like we suck. We're not there yet. <laughs> These guys are waking it. That's that's a little bit about how this 20 year journey has been. Where I've never been in a moment where we're sitting up there inhaling, going, "Hey, this is who we are. Like we've made it." In in there's a there's probably an unhealthy amount of paranoia that has been built in to my DNA from where I've come from that drives people crazy who have to work with me. Yeah. But at the same time, it's manifested in the culture that we have to continually get better. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I just got back from a, a big Qualtrics event the last couple of days where we had all of our leaders together for the president's club. We were all there celebrating and someone came up to me and said, Hey, like, wow, 20 years, did you ever imagine there would be this many people from all over the world, like 26 offices or whatever it was? And I said, as I look back over 20 years, I don't see, I just see moments where we defied gravity. Yep. Where we all came together and did something that no one thought we could go do. And that was, that. that's kind of how I look back on it. So you say, hey, was there ever a moment where you thought this was a viable business? Like, I still have alert on my phone that hits mm-hmm. me every two weeks that says payroll, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I still get this like little feeling like, okay, are we going to make payroll? Well, of course we're going to make payroll. We've yeah. got, you know, like, but it still reminds me of like, and I keep it there because of that. Like, I want to mm-hmm. feel that. So Ryan, like, I know you're saying you don't really get too excited, but you know, the relationship with your dad and your brother and him telling you, to go get a job and all this other stuff. When you made the Forbes 40 under 40 list, did you kind of sit there and say, like, all right. I'm still, that's still got, a goal of mine. All right. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm okay at this level. I'll get to this level. I told you it was right. I mean, there's humility between it, but every now and then you might want to pat on the back out of 16, 17 years. Well, like, I, if I go through, like, there's always, and it's just the way I think I'm wired, there's been always headwinds and people that have doubted us along the way you kind of use that as motivation like even in in 2017 right we tried to go get financing and raise money we raised money at two and a half billion and i i remember we offered our employee base the ability to actually come in and exercise and partake of some of that it's kind of the first time that had ever happened around here and like that was a beautiful day, but there was a lot of people who were like, this is it. This is as big as we're going to get. And then a year later, it goes even, even bigger. And then now, like, you know, the last three weeks, the entire stock market's pretty much gone to a spot I haven't seen in 
15 mm-hmm. years or 10 mm-hmm. years, right? Since since 2007, eight. I mean, it's it's not looking great. And like you still have these obstacles where you have to come together and, and power through. And so it seems like there's never really been smooth selling. It's always been turbulent. And so for me, that's the that's a big thing to keep you going. It's like there's almost not time to go and say, hey, let's focus on other things. Point. Now let's dive Forward. into Silicon Slopes. You know, you got Silicon Valley. And that was one of my favorite times about being in Deer Valley, getting to meet you all. You know, uh, Josh James, uh, Clark Miyasaki is yep. my, my good friend. Clark's a good yep. guy. And, and just learning so much about, you know, you guys from Utah, uh, BYU, uh, just the whole Silicon Slopes and just the, the brilliance that that's there. Uh, how have you used that? to your advantage or how have you used it as leveraged in, you know, painting a picture of Utah and kind of transitioning to basketball with the Utah jazz that how that's can, you know, attract some folks. Yeah. So, so I think Utah's always been a pretty amazing destination that people come to, like whether it's, they come in, they visit the national parks, you know, I feel like every neighbor in Deer Valley or everyone that's up there in Park City is from California, right? Yeah. Like, the, yeah, right. The, 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 the Hennessy is like $20 a drop, though. You got to do something <laughs> about that. The Hennessy, the Hennessy out there is $28 a glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's only got half, <laughs> half the alcohol, right? Yeah, only half the alcohol. I wonder so, what that means. Yeah. So, so uh, the, the idea is, like, people come here, but there was never industry, right? And and there really wasn't a reason why there wasn't industry because if you actually look at like some of these hubs where it's Silicon Valley or it's here, it really goes down to a factory of talent. Is there talent there? And you mentioned Josh, you mentioned Clark. We all kind of came out of the same factory of talent. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. you know, you have about a hundred thousand college kids within a 60 mile radius of Salt Lake, which is unique. You know, yes. if you if you pull Stanford out of Silicon Valley or Cal, like it completely changes the makeup of that yeah. place. And so you have a lot going for you. You've got a, a lot of attraction. You've got a lot of people. It's a great place, super entrepreneurial. And I think what we were lacking was just success breeds success. Mm-hmm. And so once people started seeing, you know, that companies could be successful here. Other companies started. And then at what level could the success be? Could you raise venture capital? And then that became where every venture capitalist in the world was turning over rocks in Utah, calling me about companies I didn't know of, right? Mm, So the show was up. Like they knew that it was here. And then they started seeing like, well, could you go public? Could you actually be a public company? And then we had like six IPOs in one year in tech, which I think was you know, as much as downtown New York City, right? Right. <laughs> or you had venture capital. How much venture capital could come in? It's like we raised more money in Utah in a year, a couple of years ago than I think almost anywhere else, but outside Silicon Valley. Then you look at population growth. Yeah, I mean, I think we're 40,000 homes behind in the state of Utah right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you look at all of these factors and then like, what could happen? Like, how big could you get? And so as all of this happened, we kind of got together and said, hey, we're all individually trying to tell our own story. What if we actually put our logos aside, 
let's 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 actually all get behind Silicon Slopes. Let's get behind one cause. Let's raise it. If someone's coming to do an interview from Forbes or Fortune, I know it feels good to have your face on the cover or my face on the cover. Let's actually mm-hmm. include all mm-hmm. of us. Let's turn mm-hmm. the stories into Utah. Yeah. And it worked. And I think that that's what's helped create this moment. And it's it's not a moment. This is here to stay. Utah is probably the second or third biggest tech hub or will be, I believe, yeah. in the United States going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ryan, um, you can always be seen sitting, you know, courtside to the Utah Jazz games, along with uh, Qualtrich working with the NBA in some areas. What possessed you to want to get into the team? Like, was it likability with it or were you a big fan or was it your childhood dream of being a, a NBA pro or, you know yeah, what I'm So, like, I, I still hoop. I play ball this morning, right? Yeah. I play at 6 a.m. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm over 40 and still able to run and move. So, I feel like, like, that's like a good place to start. Like, I just love it. I love ball. And then I think the more I got close to the league and I started to understand the dynamic and the competitiveness and the impact, the impact Mm -hmm. that the NBA can have, not only on the court, but in the community. As I started working with the league on the tech side, it just sucked me in. Like, I I think just like everyone who's been close to it, it's like, whoa, like people – People are very intrigued about the operation of the NBA. Everywhere I go, right. it's like people want to talk. And right. I get it. Like it is it is an incredible organization. It is an incredible platform. Um and like I never really thought that wow, this was gonna be a possibility until it kind of yeah. happened. Right. I saw I saw an amazing excitement on your face when it got announced and you just brought a different type of energy to it. Um, I think we're trying to see what that next wave of NBA ownership looks like. You know, we've always tried to, you know, look to see what that's like in, in all the leagues, but with what you just said in terms of everyone wants to know what goes on on the operational side of NBA team, what value do you think you, you add to being an owner? Yeah, I mean, Adam told me right when we took over, he was just like, Ryan, like, like the mistake people make or the emphasis I would say was bring everything you brought to your other business here. Like, Mm. and that, that was kind of encouraging because it's like, wait a minute, what kind of owner or governor are you going to be with your group or how's this going to go? And reality is like, I'm Ryan, like, that's who I am. Like, I don't have two stories it's like one story mm-hmm. this is who we are like i've led an organization we've built an organization we built a lot of different things like we're just gonna bring that i don't have anything else to bring like it's not yeah, like no, i'm but- gonna go try to be someone i'm not like i wear my hat yeah. backwards i wear my hat backwards it reminds me that it's still who i am and that's probably Billy why Hoy. i do it <laughs> you know like yeah. nothing's I- changed yeah, but you ever think when you when you decide to buy the team from the Miller family and things were going on, you had crazy situations in Utah. Did you ever in your head, because when I read your bio and everything, you're an all-inclusive individual. So I, the same way that you told the other people on the tech company, like it's po- opposed to us all getting these magazine covers and all this, let's join together. Do you feel like, I think like you can change the narrative of you know Utah and your personality of being a governor or owner can bring in more players. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I felt like uh, just from a distance, just like when I first met you, you probably don't even remember. I was like, damn, that's a dope dude. Right. And I was like, Utah really needs that. And I'm not saying that in a negative sense, but I'm like, your open disposition and your influence, sometimes it all it only takes one. Yeah, I think I think if you look at like let's take let's take a step back to even our ownership group. Like like yeah. I obviously am from Utah and yes. I know the Millers and was able to we were able to work out a deal as kind of a succession, right? That's how yeah. I look at it, is like, hey, 30 years, incredible run. Right. It's not like we're taking over. I mean, it's the second winningest franchise in the last 30 years. That's also a massive responsibility. And the Millers, I mean, Larry Miller was a maverick. Like this guy was like, if you, if you read about it and and just getting an arena here, like he was hosting games in Vegas to make payroll half the time. Like no one knows this stuff. Like he was an icon in this league. And so to be able to take that over is both an opportunity and a responsibility, right? And so I wanted to stay, you know, at first it was like, okay, am I going to do this alone? Who am I going to do it with? And my first call was to Ryan Sweeney, who was my venture right. capitalist, who at Excel Partners, who had backed me throughout all of Qualtrics. And our thought was, well, let's get the smartest people around. We don't want a lot. We do not want a lot of people. Right. Because yeah. I've also seen that being a disaster. And so yeah. our second call was like, hey, we have a friend, Mike Cannon Brooks from Atlassian in Australia, who's a big hoops fan and represents a different region of the world. Like, could we use that? And, and, you know, he's like Elon over there, right? Like, could we use that? And would he be interested in both? Or like, first of all, I love basketball. I trust you. And I'm all in on Utah. Right. And then we said, all right, yeah. games, games locked. That's it. Like, that's how we're going to do this. We're going to go. And then, right. you know, we kind of closed the deal. We were going through it. And then I get a call from D Wade saying, Hey, talk to me about ownership. And I was like, Whoa, like I'm looking at this team and this is here. And I was like, well, if I was ever going to go down a road, you'd probably be the number one draft pick D Wade. Right. Like, <laughs> like, like everyone loves yeah. D Wade. Like, and I had known him through Clark and like everything else. Yeah. Just like we sat down, we talked and it was like, Hey, look, I think that like, like you, you could really help, the group shape and I don't I don't think any of it but we got to just lock arms and go together and that's how we we operate and and you know I'm the only one in Utah I'm here and then we recently mm-hmm. you know brought in mm-hmm. Danny Ainge mm-hmm. who oh, you nice. know I've known for 15 years and I think he's one of the best basketball minds in the world 44 years in the league player coach player yeah. coach president and um has kind of seen it all with three right. rings and like I I think that you know, between six rings of D Wade and Ainge, like I think they got a pretty good idea of what that level yeah, looks right. like. And yeah. the thing I hope to be able to add is, you know, the only thing we're missing in Utah is we just don't have a championship. And that is like, if I could bring that and we could bring that for this group, for the Miller family, that's what we want. How that goes I, I don't think anyone knows. Like, I don't think you know when you're in it, like, except for when you fall short and you're a little bit like, whoa, I guess we didn't quite have as much as we needed. Or you just got to bring more than the next person. And, and Dre, you know all about that, what it's like to be in there. It's like, it's not like you're sitting there in the second round going, we got this. Right, ever. ever. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, we're sitting you know, in a good position right now, but I'm still, like you said before, I'm still looking at the holes. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, we ain't good enough. And the yeah. guys are like, whoa, why is it so harsh? And I'm just, 
it's having that appropriate fear. It's not saying you're not good enough. You have to have that confidence. But like ET says, you know, you have to have the humility and say, we still got to humble ourselves and understand it's supposed to be hard. And when you embrace the challenges through the journey, you know, you'll always have the right perspective on things. But, you know, we always talk about, you know, I think every week Evan and I have the conversation on, you know, player empowerment, you know, how do players get skin in the game? Do you think the D-Wade template will happen more with players getting into, you know, ownership stakes with, with teams across the league? Or what's your views on that? I think I think D-Wade's a template on a lot of fronts, mm-hmm. right? If you look at like, okay, you know, naturally basketball career is so long, like what what is the next phase and how do you leverage the moment that you're in to set yourself up? I think Dwayne's probably done about as good a job as anyone I've seen, specifically because nothing was handed to right. him. And so he's relatable to a lot of players because it's not like he came out and was just the the number one pick coming out and just like he had to earn it all. Right. And I think that that's, you know, I was I was going back and forth with him this morning about business stuff and like what he was working on and everything. Yeah. And it was like he is grinding. Yes. Like he is in yes. it. And, and it's it's yes. it's like it's the same thing. And it's like we we compare a lot of notes. It's like, okay, how do you think about yeah. the next chapter, the next phase? And a lot of people tie him as like, okay, well, he's a basketball player and that's that's why he's part of the group or he's a former athlete or this or that. But actually he's a lot more than that. He's a sharp business mind. He's a hard ass worker. Like you go through all of that. And so when you put him with Sweeney and myself and and Danny and and Cannon Brook, like it feels right. So, so, so I think that's it. I mean, when it comes to, you know, I mean, this is the only league I know as of two seasons, it felt like they were together. So I don't know, you know, the history of the league all the way through from maybe when you started Mm -hmm. and how it is. But what I do know is like, okay, every, every brand is a much bigger thing than it's ever been before. Every personal brand. And this is inside or outside of basketball. And so the dynamic of like what we're going to see 10 years from now and how brands end up shaping like a collective team is super interesting. Like, and, and I mean, we could do a whole segment on like the, the evolution of a brand, both individually team and as a league, because it's like tier one, tier two, tier right. three, or however you look at it. it and I think we're in an uncharted world. I was talking, I was in a meeting this morning on the jazz and they said, you know, when our president showed up here, they had, everything was in print and they had one Sunday talk show Mm, mm, and that was it. Right. Like that was it. That's like all you heard about the jazz was either in a printed paper. So they like Jersey colors didn't even show up Right. in a Sunday talk show. And so you look at the evolution of that. It's, it's pretty crazy, but also exciting. So speaking of that, you know, the evolution, the player power dynamic, you know, you just spoke. It was it was one Sunday show. Everything was in print and you really got your information from one source. And that source kind of guided your opinion and your perception of things. And with the way players have taken their voice, you know, I love Draymond and his the new media campaign he's coming up with, you know, hear straight from the source. You know, I don't want to get my words twisted from someone else. So. With you being new, entering as an owner, what are your thoughts on the player, the power dynamic in the league and, and the growth of players' power freedom 
you know, what are your thoughts on where it should go and how we can channel it? Because at the end of the day, I always say we're partners in this thing and we both want the pot to grow. Yeah, I think that's that's actually the the best point is like, okay, how like we have probably, I mean, in my biased view, probably the most exciting league mm-hmm. that I see to watch. And, you know, you bring someone courtside or you come to an NBA game and, and the amount of people are saying that's the best sporting experience I've ever had in my life. Right. Like you, you hear that, you get that. You know, whether it's pop culture, mm-hmm. whether it's just culture in general, the way that a, a community can rally around it. Um, and then the amount of games you play, like, I, I think we've got something incredibly special. I think the foresight on what that becomes is incredibly, incredibly important going mm-hmm. forward. I mean, even technology. Right. So like fan engagement, streaming, all of these things are coming very quick. And like no one has a crystal ball to say, hey, these are the four steps that that should make. So what you have to do is truly just form a partnership and come together around that. Like, I mean, is everything going to be on a mobile? Is betting going to be, you know, a big part of what you're going to see in the arenas? Mm -hmm. And then how does that distract from the game? What are the unintended consequences of that? Of that. Right. And like. Okay, well, wait a minute. You've got extra pressure on calls and refs and everything else for the wrong reasons. Right. Right. (laughs) So, like, it all plays in. And so I think that, you know, I'm a big fan of um, Adam Silver and, like, his ability to, like, look ahead and navigate. And um, we'll see. And, And I think it's no different than what you're looking at at Qualtrics. Or you're no different than, like, these are the same challenges or opportunities that you have but i think the best thing is is we we're coming at it from a position of strength and that's what i see the most like the fan power the community power behind the utah jazz this season the last two seasons um and and you've seen it you know so much i mean whether it's in boston or you've seen it in in california in san francisco and golden state like it's powerful. There's nothing that brings it together like that. And you know, I remember when we were at the the U.S. Open together. Like when we were at Pebble Beach, like everyone was walking by, Dre, yeah. Dre, Dre, yeah. Dre. Like, like this is you guys yeah. were right off that. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Really was. So we got to keep that up for sure. So Ryan, I was wondering, how do you set up your players for success on and off the court, like during their playing career and afterwards? Is that a goal of your ownership group? It's not something that we sit down and say, hey. Like, this is like a longitudinal plan. I think that we have been thoughtful about saying, hey, what is the player experience with the Utah Jazz? Like, let's take it from the time they land. And this is something, you know, I come from the experience world. This is what we do for, you know, Delta Airlines or whoever. And we say, okay, let's take the experience from the second you book your flight all the way to the time you get back home. What's that experience? So we're saying, hey, what is the player experience for the Utah Jazz? What does it mean to be a Utah Jazz player? Like, what does it mean to be a Utah Jazz alumni, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and, and I'm looking and saying, hey, well, we can turn this up a bit on what that can be all the way through. And then when yeah. it comes to, like, what success could look like, I think there's two things. Number one is, like, you know, are you approachable? Are you approachable so someone can come ask you that question? Yes. And I think, you know, we're the youngest ownership group in the league. Right. So hopefully there's some age appropriateness. I think that 
you know, I've had players come up to me, hey, how do you feel about this coin? What do you think about NFTs? Like, how are you going on right. that? Like, it, and, and I like that. Like, come up and talk to me. Like, let's go, let's go through, let's chat. But I also think that, like, hopefully we're an example of the people we have put together so we don't even have to talk about it. Like, yeah. Like, right. I think right. that's really what it is. Like, they see D and they're like, hey, Dwayne, what's this? Or Sweeney, like, hey, I just saw you did a big investment into GOAT and SeatGeek. Like, tell yeah. me about it. Like, you just did Rally, you know, which is going to do all the collectibles. Like, oh, wait, you you actually were the dude who, like, backed Venmo? Like, like how does this work? Like, in Spotify right. and Dropbox. Like, and, like, <laughs> how does that work? It, but it also takes people looking at it so you know mike conley might be very different than um someone else who's just yeah. starting their career yeah right, right. but like right. like rudy's always coming up to me rudy gobert and asking about like hey check out these nfts this is what i'm doing like like or, or rudy gay or like wh whoever it is like people i yeah. i i would love that and, and by the way if it's if i don't know the answer like great go talk to Ainge. Ainge, how yeah. did you get involved right. like you went player coach this, like, wow, you've been around for a long time. What was it like getting, like, would, would Bird give you the ball if you missed two shots? Right? Like, like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. true. No, that's a real yeah, thing. You, that's a real thing. <laughs> so <laughs> I know personally that's a real thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you better make a couple. <laughs> so, so I think that, I mean, the, the real answer is, like, all we can do is just create an environment. That's yeah. all we can do. And we want to create the best jazz Utah environment as possible. I was wondering, I had this random question because, uh, what is it? Is it, who's the owner of Atlanta? Richter, Rixer? Wrestler. Wrestler. Tony Wrestler. Yeah, I remember they were yeah. doing this 60,000, um, the gully. You know how you travel under yeah, to yeah, go yeah, play yeah, the yeah, Hawks? Yeah, I guess yeah, they're yeah, putting, yeah. putting in 60,000 new residences. And, you know, when a Whole Foods pulls up, it's, it's, gonna, it's about to be for real. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> one thing, yes. but one thing that they said was, like, since we played, we couldn't be part of that investment. And I don't want to get you in trouble or, you know, lose, you know, Donovan or one of your top players. But was there ever something where you could look back and be like, hey, he has enough money that this might be worth taking, calling it now? And investing into this deal, you yeah. Know what I mean? So, so because like, a lot I, of deals that occur, you guys make yeah. you guys make the value, and we can't do anything about it because we're players. Like, yeah, you think that'll so take I, one? Well, it's it's interesting because like you you go down I fifteen in Utah and you see Stockton the Malone dealerships, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. those days are over. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> probably yeah. why we have everything there. And I think that there's enough with the league. I mean, we're hosting the all-star game next year. I think the tech summit will be really, really interesting with what we can bring to that and help Adam and others like kind of drive that together. I think that, that there's plenty to go around and I'll just tell you, you just indexed Utah. Yeah over the last five years and just said, Hey, I'm going to invest in every single startup in Utah. You would be like mm. brilliant. It would be yeah. better than any mm. shoe deal. Anything <laughs> else that's there. Yeah. It, it, but, but it's also like, it's also hard because, you know, Dre, you and I talked about this once you were like, Hey, I'm thinking about raising a fund. I'm thinking about doing this. I'm doing that. And I was like, Hey, like, let's think about this for a second because you know, you've got these massive funds, like, Actually, how do you drive your value, maybe sometimes right. without all of your money? And that's, that's what I think 
a lot of players can probably do a better job with, you know, it, it happened a while ago in golf where these golf brands were coming up and players were getting sponsorships and some players were like, Hey, I want $200,000. I mean, I remember talking to Johnny Miller about this in the day with his deal with Callaway. Like if the option was I could go take stock and leverage that, um, the returns were enormous. Right. Yes. And so how do yes. you actually go and, I think if you're a company starting out, what, what you want to do is increase your likelihood for success. So how mm-hmm. can someone with your connections, your expertise, your brand lend the ability to increase success for that company to make it? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you can do that, then I think that's what's important. I, th- I think you're debunking the small market sentiment because i think you just spelled it out so eloquently and the value that you can add the value of just being in your market it's 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 incredible but the the kind of switch lanes and the kind of you know humanize you to your core and you know i see that a lot of other folks may not be able to see it because you're so you like to hide behind the scenes which i love with your your philanthropic endeavors and your name because ryan smith all the moves you make there's no way you just got a name like Ryan Smith. <laughs> like, that's it? So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? I was reading all your so, accolades. I'm like, bro, Buddy's name should be Billions or something. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to break it down to what I'm talking about is is your, you know, five for the fight. And you have a jersey patch that's not a sponsorship, which is first of its kind. And I think that speaks volumes about you so can you kind of tell us about your five for the fight and the mission and what it means to you yeah this was this was uh you know the jersey patches are being sold but they're also in a partnership with the players so it's split like the Mm -hmm. teams get part and the players get part and so they can't be given away right this this has a rack it has a rack rate and it was actually how i first started really getting involved in the jazz is i think you have the arena sponsor and the Jersey sponsor. And those are the two biggest, you know, real estate options that you have as someone mm-hmm. from the community getting involved. And, you know, we had launched this idea that like, we're going to be incredibly philanthropic cancer research. It's a big part of what we do. Like we got to figure out a better way. We, we specifically don't believe that our best and brightest individuals in the world are actually choosing to go into cancer research. They might be going to rockets and tech and other things. And like, we wanted to help shape that where if we could pull 20 more of the brightest researchers, we're going to have, you know, 500 more breakthroughs. seems pretty simple when you, when you think about it from the tech side, mm-hmm. but what were we going to do to help that? And so we took that patch and, you know, Mike, who was a co-founder of this, like came in and was like, like, dude, if you're all in on cancer, don't put Qualtrics on the Jersey, put, fight for the fight and it freaking hurt mm-hmm. because that first year like don's winning the dunk contest and instead of qualtrics <laughs> which enterprise enterprise companies don't have a lot of like like sexiness or splash Correct. or whatever it yeah. is it's, like yeah. it's like weather tech yeah 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 it's like weather tech like <laughs> brand is everything and i'm sitting there going yeah. okay five for the fight like what is that but we've raised you know 30 going to 50 million dollars and this is where i understood and learn for the first time the power of the platform of the NBA to do good. Because if we want to launch five for the fight, 
on our own, there's no way we would have had that big of an impact. Right. This has become like a major staple to the organization and 30 other brands have come on where they donate $5 per paycheck per employee. And that adds up. And so it's been, it's been pretty incredible. So, you know, how I was watching your dad go through his situation with cancer and still working on cultures with you, you know, how did watching him go through all that shape you and, and, you know, help you power through your toughest days? You know, I think, you know, with my father going through it, and you know, he fortunately survived because there was a researcher who had come up with a way to like get his cancer out without ruining him. Right. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of cancer, right. like you don't know whether someone doesn't make it because of the cancer treatment or the cancer itself. And correct. You know, it's my father passed the cancer. So, right. I'm, yeah, I'm right and it's there like, with you. okay, well, like either the 27 sessions of chemo are going to get this person or when they recover, they're never going to be the same anyways. And, and that was my dad. Like my dad lost probably 10 years off his life. Definitely. But fortunately was able to do that. My stepfather wasn't that lucky. Like he had multiple myeloma, myeloma and, you know, he, he passed away a couple of years ago and so it's, it's a little bit like, okay, like two really prominent figures in my life have both been, been hit with cancer and there's not a more helpless feeling. Like when someone calls you and says, I have cancer, you know, we're back to experiences that might be one of the worst experiences. Yeah. Like there, like there couldn't be a worse experience at some level than, than that. I was just down at this, at this leaders trip and you know, I'm sitting there with one of our leaders and his wife, and they're only in town for two days from Toronto because their daughter is going through another round of chemo because, which is like 16 different sessions because the tumor came back in a five-year-old. Like, mm -hmm. they're helpless. They don't know what to do. And I would love that we had a day at some point where it was like, okay, we know this is rough, but it's going to be okay with confidence. Like, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And we're not mm -hmm. there yet, but right. like, I'm hopeful that, that we can get there. And like, I think the, the part to me is I remember when we were starting out, my dad couldn't talk and, and he couldn't mm -hmm. speak because it was in his throat that, that I just committed. Like, I remember sitting up in the cancer center saying, if we make this through it, and Qualtrics does something like our foundation or our goal is that we're going to be given back to this. And yeah. I'll never That's forget going up to that cancer center and saying, Hey, I brought them down to our office. I said, you are a charity. We're going to give back to you. And they're like, okay, great. What does that mean? I was like, Oh no, no, no. We don't have any money yet. But when we do, you're going to get some. <laughs> right. And it started with a thousand dollars per employee per year. And their first check they're getting is like, okay, here's $5,000, here's $10,000, here's $20,000. Next thing you know, it's here's $20 million. And now we're going to get right. others to go through. And, you know, you kind of have to be reminded along the way, have you changed? I mean, you said you were going to do this. Like, did you change? Yeah, right. And, right. Yes. Yeah. 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 We, we've been saying that a lot lately. We, we've been saying that a lot. Know, to this point, like, I think that, 
if you can if you can ride it out and just do what you say you're going to do yeah mm-hmm. like if you if you say it you do it that is hopefully a, a pretty good you know flag to plant in the hill and go charge towards that yes sir so Earlier this year, you tweeted like a TBT picture uh, back in the basement. It was like 20 years ago with your dad and like uh, your brother. You said the reason why you're an entrepreneur is so you can write your own story. What do you think the Cliff Notes version of your story will be? I don't know. I never really thought of that. I think... Um, Would your snapback be involved or no? <laughs> well, like, I'll be honest with you. Like The only reason why I wore it, like I normally would wear it forward, but we have a deal with new era and it's a little deep for my head. So it fits back, but now it's become like a staple. So it's like, everyone thinks it's, yeah. it's part of it, but, but I like it. I think, uh, you know, hopefully my story is much more around like my kids liking me, <laughs> my wife liking me, like, like, yeah, that's I, think, <laughs> I think that's like that's a big thing. I get it. Like if I go all in and I'm super successful at everything I do, but like, I don't have the ones closest to me. Like it comes at that cost. Yeah. Like I, I've seen this too many times where like, you've got to be able to try to scale it all. Like you've got to be able to scale the whole thing. Like a lot of people can scale one mm-hmm. side of it mm-hmm. at the expense of the other. So that's where it gets hard. And so if I can stand back and, you know, one day at, at my funeral, my kids are going, hey, he did his part here. And then on the business side, people are like, hey, he did his part here. Or I helped drive change and made the world better. Then that's all cool. Because at the end of the day, like no one remembers who the best business dude of the 1800s was. Name it. I don't know. Like or, or, or Rockefellers? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those who, might be 1900s. Yeah, who, I don't know. It's like, like four people. The first yeah, four yeah. that finesse. Yeah, who's, who's the best <laughs> business dude in 1700? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. So I don't I don't know. Like, I, I try not to think too hard about legacy and stuff like that because I think it's, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm young. Mm. I'm still young. I like that. Yeah. For me, I just really want to say thank you for your time. Um, this has been one of the more educational, um, not just from, you know, throwing numbers and data around, but just kind of like, I love the way your intentions are set up. You know, you really have an intent. And what I took the most from it is, you know, when you say you're going to do something, you do it. And at the same time, just embrace, you know, the grind of the journey. And you got to tackle things as if all the odds are against you and you just got to just got to get through it. But the, your intentionality is something that I'll never you know, I'll never take for granted. So just appreciate you for the time. And I hope I don't get in trouble by the league by saying, all you free agents out there, we got a, we got a hidden gym. Yeah. And uh, don't be, don't shy away from, you know, experiencing something special because I do think you're building something special. I'm not just saying that because you're here, you know, like this is, that's real. Like this is one of the real conversations yeah. I've had, especially yeah. from a Caucasian who I consider, <laughs> I don't even, when I, when I see you, I don't see Caucasian. Yeah. Hope that doesn't get me in trouble either, but thank you. I don't know how to take that, but. Uh, <laughs> Alright, take care. Thanks again. Okay, guys. Alright. Peace. Yes, sir. Thank you. Alright, bro. See ya.